Welcome to Akashina Podcast Anime with Friends. If this is your first visit with us, hello! This is a podcast about the peculiar children of the anime world, the odd, amusing, and oddly amusing series that might not get as much attention as some of the marquee shonen and shoujo titles. Other, other series we've covered are Sadazanmai, Beastars, Keep Your Hands Off Azoken, just stuff that has kind of a shorter run or that tells a story that's a little bit more niche. My name is Sabrina Ray, and I am a lifelong anime fan who kind of lapsed a little bit in her fandom. But through this show, week to week, I'm reconnecting with my love of the medium. With me is my childhood bestie, Dawn. Dawn, you have been graduated to childhood bestie. There's no longer any qualifiers. How are you? I, I'm shocked into silence and stunned by this, uh, by this wonderful promotion, and I, I'm honored, really. Um, I'm good. I am looking forward to the end of this winter and this COVID winter at the same time. Um, oh, I'm so angry. Uh, I, I was under the assumption that we were in headed into spring big time. I put away my winter coat and I, I started like, like working on my body because like, I got to get rid of my winter body and get into a slimmer body so that I can fit into the cool and beautiful and cute spring fashions. And then it suddenly got super cold again. Yeah. It, it, we, That's your we reaction? We got the fall spring. <laughs> we got the fall spring. But, I mean, well, I don't know how cold it was there. I mean, here, just I mean, maybe did it just hit you today? Because it was, it was yesterday that we had a storm come through. And they said it would snow a little bit. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's okay. And I look out the window, and it's literally a whiteout, and it covered the field out there. Holy moly. Though, yeah, it was really surprising. I think it was the leftover storm that made its way through Colorado. They are, so it was quite a bit. They are saying that we are going to get snow. He's in Chicago. I mean, Don, you're in Chicago, but I am in New Jersey. And usually we don't get snow past this time of March. I think we've had it a couple times in April, but it's pretty rare. I mean, Damn we, that we groundhog. We, we get the, the snow here. Honestly, Chicago weather does not get nice until late May. Do you guys have Anything? your own groundhog? What? Do you have your no, own we, prognosticating We all use Puxatani Phil. There is no there is no groundhog other than the one. Are you joking? There's a cabal no. of groundhogs. There are, but there is really only one official groundhog by the way that people do this. Like who's we don't I have don't a know. local groundhog. There's ask, no like local groundhog of fame, if that's what you're asking. Ask Mixawiki Mike. I, <laughs> I'm afraid Mixawiki Mike never had any um, appearance in a movie, while Puxatani <laughs> Phil at least has a, has a theater credit. So anyway, I chose our next show uh, specifically, Wonder Egg Priority, not just because it's a great original anime series meaning it's not based on a pre-existing book or manga, as these so often are, but because of the pedigree of the author. Wonder Egg Priority was written by Nojima Shinji, who's most renowned for his primetime drama series that aired in Japan, uh, or continue to air in Japan. 
And his work often delves into the dark side of humanity, and it doesn't shy away from dramatizing topical and often controversial subject matters such as incest, inappropriate uh, student-teacher relationships, the mentally handicapped. When I was learning to speak Japanese, I watched a lot of his dramas in order to practice and learn how people spoke and acted. He carries over that great gift for dialogue, for, for sort of a a very grounded realistic dialogue that's that feels like real people like the the students in um his series uh high school teacher or koko kyoshi um they sound different than people who he's just putting words into their mouth they sound like they're like real high school students and when i watched the drama the performance felt like that and wonder egg priority gets to that point where it it starts to have that same sort of rhythm to the dialogue. And it's going to be more apparent as we further get into the series and meet more of the characters. But this is his first foray into anime. And although he is the writer, many of the creative decisions, I would assume almost all of them, were left up to the director and to Cloverworks, who produced the series. It's bold. It's strange. And it's a roller coaster of feelings uh, that I think everyone who listens to this show is going to enjoy joining us on. Um, we have an absolutely killer cast, starting with our main character, Oto Ai, played by Kanata Aikawa, Rika Kawai, played by Shuka Saito, Neiru Aonuma, played by Tomori Kusunoki, and Momoe Sawaki, played by Hinaki Yano. Uh, which means Jack Biscuit to you right now. <laughs> yeah, that e- even I, who have started here, don't know what, what uh, the main the name references mean nothing. All right, so I is the main character, and that's the one that we meet in the first episode. But I want to go over this very briefly. How we do our show is that typically I will watch the series through to completion, and Don will go into it week by week, watching only the episode or episodes that are up for discussion that week. What that means is, if this is your first time watching Wonder Egg Priority, you can watch along with us week by week. We'll be covering the pilot and the finale as single episodes, but from next week, we'll be doing two episodes per show on Okashina Podcast, unless something changes. Uh, Normally, I would write an elevator pitch for the series and say it here, but Part of the joy of Wonder Egg Priority is the mystery, which kind of unravels at a very weird pace. Um, I like this description from the official IMDb page because it doesn't give anything away and it also doesn't make it sound like you want to watch it. (laughs) I'm going to read it now. And I want your reaction, Dawn, when I finish. While on a midnight stroll, a girl named I picks up an egg. A voice coaxes her. If you want to change the future, you only need to choose now. Now, believe in yourself and break the egg. What awaits I after breaking up the egg? (laughs) What? What was that? Was that a sentence in English? Yeah. Could you repeat the sentence? The whole thing? No, just the last sentence. What awaits I after the breaking of the egg? Did I I skip one of those? What awaits I... (laughs) <laughs> yeah what awaits i after the breaking of the egg yeah, i you did the word flowed together so i heard what awaits i and i was like <laughs> what what who does what now who's yes, on first yes um uh that is not a very helpful <laughs> description it 
<laughs> I mean, it is not, it is factually accurate, but I believe it only covers a couple minutes of the show. And also, uh, yeah, it doesn't, and I, to be honest, you described this show briefly on a previous podcast when you were asking what, what everyone was, when we were going over what we were up to. And uh, <laughs> it also didn't sound appealing then, uh, although you were more fascinated with it. Uh, it, yeah, that doesn't do it justice. It's it's it it's very difficult to talk about the show without starting to give away things that are not in the first episode. The first episode, it's impossible. Withholds I, a lot, <laughs> and I'm really curious how much you got out of it. So I'm going to be very careful not to over-explain until we've had chances to discuss as we go along. But episode one is called Kodomo no Ryobun, which the Funimation people have translated as the domain of children. But I think it might be a reference to a piano suite by Debussy called Children's Corner, which is what the Japanese call it, Kodomo no Ryobun. Um, have you, are you familiar with the work? Um, are, do you have any thoughts on its possible relevance? Uh, you lend far too much to my classical music background and ability to... <laughs> summon in my head what that piece was and what its cultural significance was it's and a relate six that part back to solo anime. piano it's a six-part solo piano suite um that was made for his daughter so and no i i don't have anything to say about it if there are other salient details i think it's worth bringing them up well if you see anything if you look it up and 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 this goes to the the listener as well if you see anything and it, and it kind of conjures an image or something Maybe just shoot us a, you know, a message over on Twitter. We have a Twitter account. It's called uh, at Okashina Podcast. I said that weird. At Okashina Podcast. That's O-K-A-S-H-I-N-A Podcast. And just let us know what you think the significance might be, if there's any. It might not even be revealed uh, how significant it is until we see the whole series play out. Um, They're currently, I think, on episode 10, which means there's only about two or three episodes left. Uh, as we're recording this so as this episode starts it's nighttime and our main character is on screen her name is i and she kind of looks like Coraline, don't you think she's kind of like a grown-up Coraline with blue hair and a trademark yellow hoodie slash slicker yes and the 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 same sort of close close cut bob yeah yeah it's a it's not the first time I've seen that kind of character design, but I wondered if it might be, if it might be a like a little nod to, sort of the fantastical nature of this world that we're in. We see a firefly; its light flickering out as it sort of dies, and I picks it up, and buries it with a with a plant. And when we started, it was night, but when she buries it, it's morning. And the firefly speaks out to her as the lights around her start to flicker. So the question you have to ask yourself immediately, and I'm sure you wrestled with this throughout the episode, is, is she dreaming now? That's the question. So is this dream or reality, Dom? Right. Is, Is she dreaming or is this reality when this bug first of all, seems to resurrect, and second of all, starts to talk to her. And I, I, we are 
what we're a minute in <laughs> at this point <laughs> so i said well i'll suspend my disbelief i don't believe we're dreaming um and let's see where she goes and what she but, where she goes is she goes down an escalator into i'm just in an amusement call it, park in an amusement park she goes down an, es- an escalator which feels very weird it doesn't feel like an actual escalator. No, well, part of it is because it's going down an escalator in what appears to be a cave. Right. Um, which is not where you expect to find escalators. And she goes down, but you don't see where she goes. No, you don't. But there is a tube at the bottom. Well, you didn't know that at the time. Okay, well, we didn't know that at the time, but there is a tube at the bottom. There absolutely is. You know by the end of this episode. Yes, it, she's very nonplussed about this whole thing. She asks questions, but the questions aren't the kind of questions you would ask if you were in reality seeing these things happen. Like, she just I, I don't starts know what I talking. Would be she just starts talking to the Firefly. Well, the Firefly's never... talking to her. It's only polite. You're right. You're right. I guess if a firefly started talking to me, I would return the conversation. But there's never a sense that she's feeling that the firefly is somehow out of the ordinary. It's more about the the physical actions that are happening. Well, she's very credulous. Right. Following the firefly down into the depths, it sort of says that it leads her to a gachapon machine, right? And says it's going to give her what she wants. And she claims not to want anything. And then it laughs at her kind of derisively. And uh, as she follows the escalator down, he's like, yeah, I know what you want. A friend. And then she awakens in her pajamas. So maybe it was a dream. Uh, But she has an egg with her now. And it's got these weird series of numbers and symbols on it. Yeah, it seems almost like it came out of... I, I, for some reason, like from a lab or something. And she also, it was a little um, nerve wracking to watch her roll over on it in her sleep because were I to roll over on an egg in my sleep, it's possible that egg might uh, might not stay an egg. Might be smashed. It is possible. You're right. Uh, and they're pretty easy to break, uh, as I proved making the promotional video for this, uh, for this series. I was... Uh, I, I just hit it with my hand once. And that was it. It was squished. Um, if you're not sure what a gachapon machine is, I know I said that like it was this common thing, but it's basically a gumball machine where you put the quarter in and you turn it, except instead of gumballs or homies <laughs> or <laughs> wax lips coming out, uh, in this case, it's an egg. So the gacha is the sound of the, of the metal handle turning to the to the left or the right and then it makes that ka-chunk, 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 right sound and then the pone that's the sound of the thing inside the machine coming out so there's the mystery solved you guys can go now you've learned everything i have to teach you <laughs> I, I i don't think that's true at all and then what happens don she she frets over it she well she's very curious about it um, she, I like when she puts it in her mouth and tries to break it with her teeth. Well, she it's she delicately is like, it's as if she's testing its elasticity, um, or she wants to crack it, but she finds she is unable to do so. 
Stop trying to eat the dream egg. Jeez, I. Well, I mean, what do you do with an egg? Life hands you lemons, you make lemonade. Life hands you eggs, you make an omelet. Ooh, that has some strange implications given what we learn about the egg later in the episode, friend. <laughs> I don't know if I want to make an omelet with that egg, honestly. Well, when someone hands you an egg and it's an egg, then it is an unfertilized chicken and we use it pretty much for food. Not a lot of other uses. Obviously, this is not that kind of an egg. Mm -hmm. So we get a couple interesting scenes of her figuring out what to do with the egg. But then we also see her walking on a treadmill and eating alone. And we haven't seen any kind of parents... And then we get a scene of her kind of sitting alone by herself and we hear the sound of girls talking outside excitedly. And I's teacher comes for some kind of home visit to deliver printouts from school. And he and her mother make chit chat outside her door. And before we know it, day has passed into night. Um, so this, this gives us a couple little clues as to something going on, right? Uh, I apparently hasn't been either going to class or she forgot some printout or she forgot her homework there. And the teacher feels confident enough or feels comfortable enough to go to her house <laughs> and deliver these things, which it doesn't, it's not a totally ordinary scenario. Maybe she's sick. Maybe she's just not going to school. Um, but she does go to school in the dream, I think. <laughs> Uh, it looks like she's just going to sneak out. You know, she puts on her clothes. She does that thing where she makes her face look like uh, Kenny from South Park. Where she pulls her hood up all the way and then closes it. Closes it so you can just see her eyes and her nose. And then she walks out the door. But Dawn, she's not outside her door unless she lives inside the school. Yeah, it's well, and she is very clear uh, that the that what occurs is not what she's expecting at all. No. Um, she pinches herself in kind of a comical way. Pinches her um, cheeks and stretches her face. And I really do like the animation in this episode. It gets even better as it goes along, but as it gets more I, fantastical. I do think that the animation done in this series, I mean, I've watched one a total of one episode... But it's very good. Yeah, uh, it's very smooth, very expressive, I would say. Spared no expense, spared no expense. <laughs> so in this dream space, it she's at school. So, you know, it's a typical place where a student might dream themselves to be. But here we see someone is putting graffiti on a locker and it says die over and over again in very intimidating writing. And when she looks at these characters, where their faces should be, they instead have this kind of mosaic effect which hides their identity. And now things are starting to feel more and more like a nightmare. There's morning announcements, but they, they sound kind of psychotic. And they, they keep stressing that students should like avert their eyes from the truth or pretend not to see what's happening in front of them. Did you feel like suddenly things have sort of gotten darker? I definitely felt, I mean, there was a sense of uneasiness all the way back in the amusement park when she was descending the escalator. Yeah. But here, 
it's both trivial and or, or it, it's trivialized a little bit because now we're referring to student bullying which is you know it's unpleasant but it's low, lower stakes but also the the pixelization adds a, a greater sense of uneasiness to it it does and 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 things get really weird for her because she's hiding in the bathroom so even if it's not directed at her she has she has interpreted these acts as sort of bullying in her direction and as she's kind of fretting there in the bathroom hiding out the toilet roll forms a face and encourages her to break the egg and it, it's quite adamant about this, wouldn't you say? It's aggressive. Yes, it's uh, <laughs> as much as a roll of toilet paper can be. Um, and it's very difficult to see what... I, I, I forget, was there was that the first indication of something moving? Like I, She was definitely unsettled by the, the children writing die on the locker. But then she retreats to the bathroom. It should be a safe place. And it's definitely not with this face made out of toilet paper yelling at her. Yeah, and in annoyance, she tosses the egg and it breaks. And, but instead of... Well, sort of, not just that. They tell her to do so. They tell her to break right, the egg. Right, right. They meaning the toilet paper. Right. And and I, I don't trust the toilet paper. And I guess this is true of all toilet paper in high school bathrooms. <laughs> I mean, this isn't even good quality toilet paper. This is like this is like government issue toilet paper. You know, like that thin stuff that like you can almost. I thought see the anime was good, but I didn't it. feel that it was so descriptive that that was something I could uh, glean from the anime. Huh? I, I mean, it, I just think that like probably you're, you're uh, pretty sure it's the the low quality one ply. Yeah, one ply general general role that you yeah. get like I'd, I'd trust like charmin like super soft or something super strong even or like maybe a roll of bounty i would trust <laughs> in a pinch <laughs> but yeah this toilet paper is an unreliable character to say the least and instead of like the egg shattering as you think it might and sort of spilling its contents everywhere, it starts to pulsate and grow in size. When it reaches a human size, it pops. And in, in, inside of it is a girl, eyes age with red hair in a school uniform. Yeah, she's a schoolgirl. Yep, that, that that is what she is. <laughs> and she's like, She's pretty nonchalant about it. She's like, why'd you break it in a place like this? Like, I guess she didn't want to be birthed on the bathroom floor. Yeah, and nobody really wants to come into being in the school bathroom. No, especially with such crappy toilet paper. <laughs> Although one does wonder what options. It's not clear at all that I wanted to be at a school. Uh so I wonder how much ability she had to not be at a school and break the egg somewhere else. Mm, I cannot answer that, but I think I know why. All right. You know, anyway, those like the egg girl and I don't even have much time to like bond. They're immediately attacked by 
not just the mosaic faced people, but these little weird psychotic imps with like, they almost look like they're, they have that like, um, that brand face, the one that has like the big, like toothy smile that's written in like, uh, kind of a graffiti style. So I, it was not very clear to me what they were, but I, I will say they are they're like, they're like scribbles from like a skateboarding metal fans notebook. They are attacked by one, one girl whose face is pixelated and who has some sort of evil sort of wicked looking smile. Yeah. And she has the ax, which she throws. Well, the, she appears other... to have, yeah, an endless supply of axes because she throws one axe and then is immediately armed with another. Yeah, and the, and the imps have little knives. Yes. So uh, the axe that she hurls injures the egg girl. And uh, we see now that there's actually stakes here. The egg girl could conceivably die. And as we learn, um, I, who does get injured by one of the attacks, um, she heals. So... Well, I, you've jumped ahead a little bit because they, they run off screaming. They're, or not screaming, but they, they run and they're pursued. There's, they go through lots of twists and turns. And then somehow they escape, or at least for a little while, into what appears to be the cafeteria. And they do it by running through what appears to be a locker. Yeah, And I once they're so. able to close one of the locker doors, um, they have effectively blocked entry for now. And there's a... And this is the point at which there is a lull and the girls appear to be able to get some food and just hang out, which allows for a little girl bonding time, I guess. And they start to learn things um, such as that I has healed and she is immortal, but not quite. <laughs> yeah, this is important. Um and it will be important throughout the series, which I didn't realize until I was rewatching this episode, but the girls are immortal as long as their eyes and heart are not damaged. So that's interesting to me. I mean, in eyes general... are the windows to the soul and the heart pumps blood, etc., etc. <laughs> the heart seems vital regardless of whether you're in a the heart is the heart may be symbolic of a physical well-being and the eyes may be symbolic of a spiritual well-being is how i was kind of interpreting that but um or it might be literal like it might be literally if your eyes get taken out in the dream you'll lose your eyes in the real world and i don't know you'll fall down the stairs i mean i can assure you that I wish to lose neither my heart nor my eyes. No, no. I suppose I would have to say I'd lose my eyes before my heart. But basically, we're given the game here. The rules of the game are that they have to keep the girl safe until the bell rings. And presumably that's when these creatures will stop attacking. It doesn't pan out that way. In fact, the place where they're hiding and kind of hanging out and... As you said, they were girl bonding, and which is really neat about it was this is the kind of dialogue that they sort of snuck in here is they're they're having like a really chill chat and they're asking each other if they have boyfriends and they're like, on the count of three, say if you have a boyfriend and then they go through the countdown and neither of them speaks and like one of them says and I says, it's not fair. You didn't say anything. She's like, you didn't either. But then the monsters find them. 
And you think that their bonds would cause I to feel protective of her. But Egg Girl, I leaves Egg Girl hanging out to dry. There's no other way to put it. She basically knows that she's immortal. She knows that the creatures aren't interested in her. So she just sort of like sits back and lets Egg Girl run off and fend for this her own was, self. Yeah, this was the most interesting part of the entire episode in my mind. Talk because more about it. you got a sense that I was very, was, is not, you don't know how happy she is, but you don't get the sense that she's happy. She seems a little disconnected from what's going on around her. Um, and I'm trying to remember if there are scenes here interspersed, but she, she indicates that she doesn't have friends or need them. Um, and that, you know, she's sort of fine. And once she learns this information, that they're not chasing her, and they're only chasing the other girl, I mean, she has been wounded, so she knows what that's like. She's seen the other girl get hurt. Um, and one would think, if you found out that you have some, you know, not immortality, but um, some protections that the other does not, that you would you know, gravitate to them. This is the only non-pixel... Everything else is kind of terrifying in this school. Why would you even want to hang out on your own? And the other girl <laughs> is very inviting and warm and nice and is treating you nicely. And it doesn't seem like you normally get that kind of treatment. As a result, this is why I was... I mean, to me, it's really callous for her to say, you know, hey, let's go. And I need to, to, to be just like, yeah. We're... It, it... This sort of all pays off in the reveal that I had a friend, um, her first and only friend, and that she committed suicide, and that I blames herself for the death, and that part of what she's what's motivating her is an attempt to resurrect her friend in some way. And what we discovered about Egg Girl, uh, whose name is Kurumi, what we discovered about Kurumi is that she also didn't have friends, or she did have friends, but they were the kind of empty friends that don't really touch her soul, you know? Like, they're not the true blue besties that that are the ones that will that'll be there when the dust clears or when you're down. They were sort of just platitudes. They weren't they weren't deep. And so there's similarities between the two girls. And we get a flashback of Koito. And I really liked this whole sequence. I visits the roof. And there's a statue of a girl perched over the edge. And the music is very fairy tale like. It's kind of modeling. It's pulsating. And this is our first meeting with Koito. And we found out that she joined Ai's school like mid semester and was seated next to Ai. And she sort of uh, finds Ai in a stairwell and invites her to go home together. Invites is, is sort of, it's, She's much more aggressive than that, I feel. 
She oh, insinuates herself. She insinuates herself into Ai's life. Ai is being generally very standoffish. She, she is. is. She's rejecting. very listless as well. Yeah, she's rejecting any of these overtures of friendship. Um, she's not. She's not making herself vulnerable or open at all. But it was an invitation to go home together. I think like that was that seemed very standard to me, like going up to someone and saying, "Hey, why don't we go home together? Like, why, why don't, don't we, we walk, walk home together? Home I, together." I, I, yeah, yeah, I'm not implying something that's not. <laughs> well, it's just that it is otherwise weird. First of all, you have to know that you live in the same direction. <laughs> like you and I lived within walking distance of each other's houses, so we could more or less walk together. <laughs> but that wasn't true for everyone. And then later on, uh, I is in her house. I think she's in some kind of tent in inside her bedroom. Uh, it might be how her bed is set up. I, I can't remember. But uh, her mother says that a friend has come to see her, seems delighted. And Koito goes inside the tent and kind of like just is super comfortable in there. She, there's like no boundaries. She, she, she lays there. She She's almost a little falls forward. asleep. She touches Ai's foot. Yep. And uh, what's interesting is it's, it definitely feels like a little bit more than friends at times. I don't know if you got the same feeling. I did feel that um, that she was being very forward and not just not not in like a sexual relationship, but just she was crossing a lot of boundaries that we normally don't. Certainly not right after we've met somebody. There's a lot of intimacy, though. And yes, I, I, it's hard not to read a little bit of romantic intent into that. It's, uh, it, to me, it's too soon for that. It is honestly. too soon for that. It is too soon for that. Um, but it's hard not to feel it in some of the, like it's very strange how she touches her bare foot. I mean, Japanese people are generally a little bit skeeved out by the foot. I remember I put my foot on someone as a joke, and they were like completely offended by it uh so i don't think it's a totally normal thing to touch somebody's foot in general but within japanese society it seems even more odd speaking of odd i don't mean this in a derogatory sense uh, but our character oto i that's um how they say it in japanese has two different colored eyes which is called heterochromia irid- iridium that's the scientific ter- term for it. In Japanese, this is referred to as odd eye. <laughs> ah, uh, interesting. That's, that's the word they use in the anime. And when you hear it, you read Ai's name again. And it's not a very flattering name for her character. Because it sounds like you're saying odd eye when you say oto eye. I guess I have a question is is there any stigma to hetero heterochromastia in Japan? It doesn't seem first of all like you'd get a lot of that in um, Japanese eyes. So when I describes it to Koito, she says a lot of dogs and cats have it. So it seems to be somewhat dehumanizing to her. 
That's how it in- she is interpreting it. I don't know whether it's a common thing, but I know that David Bowie was popular and he has odd eye. So definitely to me, that's a weird thing to be uh that 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 would not make you a target for bullying in a world where everyone is trying to stand out from one another. Like maybe if this were written like 30 to 40 years ago, <laughs> I could see that being a more likely case, but maybe I has just kind of like formed a personality that makes it at her an easy target for bullying and the I, odd eye the yeah, heterochromastia is simply uh one of the ways in which she's she makes herself vulnerable that's how i would interpret it because i believe that children especially use any deviation from the from the collective to be something that can be picked at and and used against someone uh, regardless of other characteristics and so the weak will get preyed upon by the bullies and that if if i is or i is um vulnerable to that then that's an angle that they would take regardless if some people would find it you know cool or exciting and you know you reach your your mid-20s and that would be cool and exciting because you're much more comfortable with who you are but when you're 13, 14, that's going to you know, any, you know, you hide everything and anything about yourself that's different. Very true. And now we're kind of getting to the meat of the episode. Um, and this is the part where you kind of have signed on. Like, it feels like it's not going in this direction. And suddenly we are in magical girl territory. Um, you know, egg girl has escaped but nope no she hasn't uh she's surrounded and i having sort of dealt with the feelings that she had about um koito uh suddenly is inspired to turn to to not no longer pretend not to see the pain that this girl is going through she grabs her pen she says, I'm sick of this. And she makes this dashing leap uh, all the way from one school building to another uh, through the air. Her pen transforms into a mystical looking weapon, very cartoonishly anime style. And very amorphous, I will yeah. say. Uh, and she uses it to crush the monster. And, uh, and then the girl she introduces herself says you know don't forget me and then she turns to smoke with a goodbye and because she's got a real name kurumi saijo it it gave me the sense that she was in fact a real girl and that what's happening here is spirits or whatever they are of real girls who have some kind of lingering something or other because the monster that she crushes was uh seemed to be um not geared toward but uh antagonistic specifically against kurumi so yeah 
what is your interpretation about all of this? Like, did you like what was happening? Is this a good is this a good direction for this story to take? It was nice to see I take some agency and uh, take some action. And especially when she was defending the person that she was previously indifferent to. Um, and it, it was cartoonish, but also cartoonishly easy to defeat the, the threat, if you will. And I was a little surprised because it, it seemed that the threat was encapsulated just in the one menacing girl, as opposed to all these bouncing balls, which, you know, were themselves of a threat, but apparently they originated and emanated from the, the one girl. But the, there was a an admonition from, and I remind me of her name again. Um, Kurumi? Kurumi, where she said, uh, it won't be this easy all the time. Or, oh, did she say that? Or did the weird voice, the disembodied like voice say that? I both did. Yeah. Maybe, I'm, maybe I'm misremembering. But the implication is... You know, it's it's kind of like a game now, right? Yes. You, you keep them alive, and now there's a goal. You may get your friend back. I was a little... I still don't understand the meaning of the statue on the roof where um, I curled up and, you know, had sort of a meditation on her friend. I feel like there was more meaning there than I was getting out of it. And I also... Um, well, we, we can go on to the end of the episode, I think. I will talk briefly about the statue because there is one part that was very interesting, which is when she confesses that she feels she betrayed her friend, her friend Koito. The statue cries and the tear falls out of the statue's face into eyes. Yes. Yep. And I don't know exactly what that means, but it did seem like they were showing that to us on purpose. One other thing I will talk about is that I has a catchphrase that she uses to dispatch uh, villains throughout the series. It is Tosaka ni Kitaze. And I just want to read you what I found on blog.kano.ac in reference to this phrase. Tosaka means a red protrusion or a coxcomb on the top of a chicken. And kuru means to come. So the literal meaning of this term is something comes on one's coxcomb. <laughs> I did not see that as sexual as this implies. Oh, are you being serious with me? I was joking. This is the this is this this is the literal translation of it, but what it means is I'm pissed. <laughs> Yeah, I give up. If I save a bunch more people, will I see Koito again? I eats with her mother. She gets this nosebleed and collapses. She's got the wound in her side. And you're thinking as the viewer, wasn't she immortal? And then I was thinking, are we in the dream or not? Yeah, that that's very concerning because it could have got like if she had taken sort of a superhero stance at the beginning of this dream as opposed to just shrugging and letting um, letting the other girl run off, <laughs> then she might have been in much worse shape. 
Right. And they they actually do say, if you don't save the girls, you won't make it either, which that's pretty ominous as well. Um, and I goes down and we, we finally see where these eggs are kind of coming from. And they look like they're in sort of washing machine bio baths. I'm not sure exactly what to call them. It's that typical science fiction-y looking like something floating in liquid thing from Star Wars or whatever. <laughs> from the Mandalorian? Yeah, well, you know, like giant tubes. <laughs> uh, but in this case, they look sort of like washing machines. And the eggs are inside suspended by some kind of... Uh, rigging and we meet these two mannequins Akka and Ura Akka and they said there's someone ahead of you and we see another girl and she's collecting more than one egg at a time she has a whole suitcase full of eggs this scene there was it raised so many questions. I thought they did an excellent job of sort of leaving you at the end of this episode wanting more because wouldn't you want to know, like, wouldn't you, I, I especially feel protective now of Ai and I want her to have connections to the world. Um, you know, That's a great way to phrase that. Yeah. And I would think that these other, this other girl who was getting eggs would be one where she would be like, hey, we have something in common. We should talk about this. We, I, I want to. I need to know more about what the hell is going on. Um, we don't. I don't get the sense that that's going to happen. <laughs> also, she comes down out of the tube, and she's in an area where it looks like there's all these eggs. Yet she has to go somewhere else where there's like an open field and a house. Where how did she get there from where she was? Or what is the sort of transition, and why are there eggs in both places? Why wouldn't she just grab an egg out of where she was originally, and not spend her money in the in the Gajin Pawn machine? That's the real question, I think. Is was she in a physical space when she fell down into the hole, and is she in a dream space when she sees the mannequin people, or is it the opposite, or are they both dreams? It's not clear at this point. So that character that she sees uh, will play into the series from now as well. She's dressed sort of oddly, um, very kind of fancy doll looking character. Uh, the dress is very, is gray. It's got a trim, lace trim collar in white. Uh, it's, it's very prim. She's a very prim looking character. And <laughs> it the Akas think that I is impressed with her work ethic, but as is typical with this show, I is actually impressed by her figure and how she wears her fashion. <laughs> and that is it. That is the end of the episode. Don, how are you feeling about um, Wonder Egg Priority so far? I, I, I very much was, first of all, beautiful animation, um, great sound music, um atmosphere that it develops uh and the ideas are it's both more and less quirky than you originally described it as um yeah it's it's a real oddity it's great for this show i can't i it's one of the, it's i feel like it's almost more appropriate for the show than anything else we've looked at so far 
just because it's so weird. Um, yeah, and yet it's starting to lay in some rules that kind of are guiding you enough. A, is that a pun? Lay, lay in, egg, uh? You're not allowed to call them out that quickly. What? I mean... You have to let them incubate for a bit. Oh, God. We have a little tradition on our show. At the end of the show, I tell you our Twitter, Okashina Podcast, O-K-A-S-H-A, S-H-I, shit. O-K-A-S-H-I-N-A Podcast at... I don't do anything at the end of the show. I just screw up and hate myself. Here we go. We have a little tradition. We have a little tradition on Akashina Podcast. We we throw to Twitter. We say, hey, tweet us your thoughts at OKASHINA Podcast. And we also give a plug to our podcast network, The Orange Groves. You can support us through patreon.com slash The Orange Groves. Um, we are a small network of very passionate, uh, very diverse people who. Um, put out a lot of very niche and exciting um, content. So you guys, if you go there and throw a couple of bucks our way, it'll help pay for the hosting fees for a ton of great shows. And you'll probably discover another show you like within our network because birds of a feather flock together. Anyway, the tradition I was actually referring to... <laughs> is that we say a little phrase at the end of the show. And we try to say it in sync, but we've never gotten it. But we're going to get it this time because you guys are special. And that phrase is, Okashiku ikoyo. And it means, let's get peculiar. Or that's how I translate it anyway. So Don. Yes. One, two, three. Okashiku ikoyo. It was so in sync. I mean, it was it was perfect. It was Justin like one Timberlake voice called, reaching out from the heavens. He wants his sync back. Yeah.